It'd be a great time. It's good to see you all this morning. Let's pray and we'll jump into God's word. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you that we've been able to worship you, uh, recognize who you are in this world and in our lives. And God, now as we jump into your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would teach us and lead us and guide us in truth um, as we open ourselves to what you have for us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, coming to this, we've been going through this thing on the this series on the Ten Commandments. And um, it's interesting. I got to tell you, this series has really rocked my world a bit, as we talked about last week. Um, and I think really, I came, when we came to this next commandment, um, it really made me think, oh, once again, another commandment that isn't that big of a deal, probably, and, and all that. Um, and, but it may, did make me think of my childhood quite a bit, because as we're coming, right, as we come to, we've come to the eighth commandment. And what, what I believe this eighth commandment does, it gets to the very heart of how we view God's provision for us, for how he's provided with us. And what do we do with all of that? The eighth commandment simply states, you shall not steal. That's what the Eighth Commandment. Do we have our, our slides not? Are our slides not working? Oh, he's coming. I can see him feverishly going back there. Um, it's just you shall not steal. That's the that's the eighth that's the Eighth Commandment. Uh, the definition I would have it up there, but we're having technical difficulties. I think is stealing is defined as taking without permission something that doesn't belong to you. Pretty simple, right? Taking without permission something that doesn't belong to you. All right. Uh, this would include everything from, like I said, brings back my childhood, shoplifting, um, <laughs> underpaying on our taxes, stealing music or movies from the internet from online, uh, neglecting to pay for goods and services. I was reminded of that um, this week. I saw something on the news that showed how, I don't know if you saw the thing where BART is trying to crack down on people that aren't paying. And so they put up, you know, they have that little thing that goes woof, woof, like that. So their genius solution was to just put another one up here. People are just going under it and everything like that. That's stealing, right? That they're, they're taking what is not, is not without permission. That wasn't. Yeah, that's the other one. Do you want to preach? <laughs> that was my next thing. This also includes uh, plagiarism. Plagiarism is taking someone else's work or someone else's ideas and uh, passing them off as yours, which is huge today. It is absolutely huge today. And believe it or not, though, where stealing actually takes place probably the most prolifically in our society, where do you think that is? It's in the workplace. The workplace by far, everything I looked at and researched by far is in the workplace. Employee, get this, employee theft costs businesses an estimated $50 billion a year. I read somewhere else a quote that says something like one in three businesses close due to theft. I don't know if it's just employee theft, but due to theft. That's amazing. That is just, that's just crazy. You know, um, people do all sorts of things. They pad their expense accounts, grab or use supplies for yourself that are meant for work purposes only, take longer lunches, come in late, stay, you know, come, I'm coming, you know, leave early or just sloughing off on the job. I mean, I've heard people tell stories of people that like they, they found out guys, they know where to go take naps during the day and things like that at work and, and just stuff like that, that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we do that. That would be stealing. So Why? Why are we prone to steal? In big ways 
theft, everything. You could, I mean, you could put slavery in there as well. There's 27 million people in this world that are, that are in slavery today. That's stealing as well. So why are we prone to this? Why are we prone to steal big and small? Well, some needs, obvious, some reasons include being needy. Uh, there's greed. Some people do it just to hurt someone. There's the thrill. There's laziness. You know, why should I work for it if I can just take it? Why? Why bother? Most often, though, I really believe that the reason that people steal, the reason that we're tempted to steal is a sense of entitlement. It's a sense of entitlement. We feel like, you know, we deserve it. We have a right to this. So why not? I'm just going to, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to take it. A few examples, you know, it's just a small fudge on my taxes. The government won't miss it at all. Besides, we need a little cushion. We need a little bit more money. What's the big deal? It's no big deal if I take these work supplies. There's plenty of them. Or I know these are someone else's words I'm using on this paper or in this sermon. By the way, that is an epidemic too, I've heard, I've read too. Pastors taking other people's sermons and then just preaching them. That's huge. That's huge. Taking that, so plagiarism, no one, you know, no one will know. But what, they, what they're saying or what they've come up with, the ideas they come up with, so much better than what I could possibly ever do. So that, that happens. It's no big deal if I go in late. What's the big deal? I, stay, I go home a little bit early. What? There's no big deal. I work hard at this. What? Don't be, if I slough off, it's not that big a deal. No one's really going to notice. So you see how easy it is for us to get into our heads sometimes that it's okay to steal. Well, I've got a lot of little notes on your notes here. So this is for note-taking purposes. If you want to follow along and fill in those little blanks on your little sheet there, you don't have to. This is just for practical note-taking purposes. The first one I want to say here is the truth is that when we steal in any way, when we steal in any way, what we are doing is we are believing a lie. We are believing a lie, a lie that God's provision for us is not enough and that we should be able to do what we feel is necessary in order to meet our needs, even if that means stealing. God's provision for me is not enough. Provision, that doesn't necessarily mean stuff either. God's provision of giving me the rest I need. God's provision giving me the, the, the cushion I need in my life to be more effective. No, he's not giving it. So I need to take things into my own hands. You see, this commandment is about more than simply just refraining from stealing. It's more than about just not taking stuff. Okay? Number two on your notes there. At its heart, it's about three things. And the first one is trusting that God will supply all my needs. Trusting that he will supply all my needs. My friend and pastor, uh, Mark Mitchell, who's written a book on the Ten Commandments, which I've been using and plagiarizing in order to do these sermons, uh, he, he says this, whenever we take something that doesn't belong to us, we're saying that God isn't able to give us everything we truly need. As a matter of fact, when we steal in any way, we're robbing God of the opportunity to supply our needs. See how it goes deeper than just grabbing something and, oh, that's wrong? We're robbing God of the opportunity to do what he wants to do for us and miracles he wants to do in our life. When we steal, it's like we're, really, we're saying we really don't believe that truth that the Apostle Paul said in Philippians where he said, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We love saying that in the church, but do we believe it? 
Do I believe that God's going to supply every one of my needs, materially, emotionally, socially, everything? Do we really believe that? Or do we feel like, you know what, I got to take some of this stuff, I got to take into my own hands. I really need to do what I need to do to make this happen. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, the long series where he, remember he talks about do not be anxious for anything. He talks, about, he talks about not being, instead of being preoccupied with this anxiousness about our life or being preoccupied with being, okay, how's things going to work out or how are my needs going to met or how am I going to get what do we need to have? Instead of that, we're supposed to be preoccupied with kingdom matters. Remember, seek first. He ends that whole section there. Don't worry about all that stuff, but seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness in all your needs. So what he's saying is, seek first kingdom matters and seek out how much God loves you with God's loving, how much he cares for us. The important truth that we need to really embrace as followers of Jesus is that God knows what we need. He knows what each of us needs, and really, it's his desire for us to come to a place where actually we treasure him more than anything else. We treasure him more than comfort. We treasure him more than making sure everything is coming together in our lives. Okay, he wants us to do that because what happens when we do that, it's the very thing that enables us to believe that and trust that he is going to provide for us. When we're seeking him first, when, all, when, when what matters most in our life is kingdom matters, we're not going to be all freaked out about all the other stuff. We're going to know that God is going to, we're going to have that deep sense that I'm going to be taken care of here, no matter how difficult things are, things are getting here. You see, our focus, when we treasure on God more than anything else, when we, make, when we make making his kingship and his authority a priority in our lives, we're going to recognize, we're going to start recognizing, oh my gosh, I have so much. When God is the number one priority in life, I'm not talking about being this, I'm not talking about being someone that, oh, I could never be that kind of person. I'm talking about the kind of believer that God is asking us all to be, someone that, that simply trusts in him. We still struggle and all that. We have our doubts, but we truly trust in him. We're going to have the sense that I am so ridiculously blessed monetarily, I mean, in, in, in so many ways, I'm incredibly blessed. And we're going to see how that plays itself out. Can you see how that, so you see how that works? Can you see how when we focused on what we don't have or what our needs are or what our struggles are, when that becomes our focus, it just, it just overtakes us. When we focus on him and his glory and his power and his, um, his majesty and how great he is, those things become smaller and smaller and smaller. The needs are still there, but we're confident. <laughs> I know he's got my back. I know he has my back, even when things get crazy. To understand what Jesus meant, to understand what he meant when he said, well, understand when he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came and said, I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to all have a Ferrari. No, that's not what he said. I want you to have abundant life. And so what is this abundant? What does it mean? Number three on your notes here. The abundant life can be summed up really in one word, contentment. You can sum up the abundant life in Christ as contentment. And speaking of this mindset, the Apostle Paul wrote this, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. And he was in some pretty gnarly situations, wasn't he? 
He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know in every circumstance, I, in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we just assume that once all my needs get met, oh, if I won that and go extreme, if I won that lottery, man, God, could you imagine how good life would be? Let's talk about the stories of people that have won the lottery, okay? <laughs> Let's talk about that. And I, I, I felt that way many times, too. I felt like I don't, I don't, I don't think that God would, um, that I would necessarily go off the deep end or anything, but I think, God, in some ways, thank you that I'm not wealthy. Nothing wrong with being wealthy at all. And I know God would give me, if he gave me wealth, he would give me the wisdom to deal with it. But if my desire is to be wealthy, then I'm missing the contentment that I have, because I'm not going to be content being wealthy if I'm not content being, well, I'm still wealthy. Living here, living like I do, I'm wealthy. But you know what I mean. The contentment has to start wherever you are. Paul knew what it was like to just be the top of the world and be content. He knew what it was like to be whipped and beaten and all that, insult, put in jail, and have that same contentment flowing. That's amazing. Because it was, uh, his focus was kingdom matters. Kingdom things were his focus in his life. You see, because Paul treasured God, because the, that was the most important thing from, because he was preoccupied, like I said, with kingdom matters, he experienced true contentment, which gave him freedom to trust. He was able to trust God that was going to take care of, I'm going to jail, what? He didn't say, oh, call everybody up. Let's get the prayer chain going and, and get the lawyers, get the, you know, let's, let's make sure we got we to gotta plead my case. Now, there's some okay in some of that stuff, but if that's the main focus, Paul is like, all right, don't worry about it. God's got this. I don't know what's going to happen. It's scary, but God has got this. Timothy, Timothy understood and expressed this truth really well when he said this, godliness with contentment is okay. No. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's an amazing thing. It's one thing to be, know a lot of stuff. I heard a quote, I was listening to a podcast yesterday when the, when the guy said, I love that phrase, it says, information does not equal transformation. I love that phrase. I love that. Information does not equal transformation. And that is so much about the Christian faith. We can have been in church for decades and know so much about the Christian faith. That doesn't mean that our life has been transformed. That doesn't mean we know what contentment is like. We don't know what it doesn't mean we know what it's like to trust the Lord. Well, don't just assume you know a lot, that you're right where you need to be. He's saying godliness with contentment is great, great gain. I want to check out, this is a long one on number four, but it's kind of his progression. I just want to slowly go through. Check out this progression, okay? Here it is on number four in your notes. As you and I learn to treasure or make God the number one priority in our lives, we learn to truly trust that he will supply all of our needs. Which will lead to, the next thing, godly contentment, which in turn is what keeps us from falling into the temptation to believe the lie that God's provision for us isn't enough. Heck of a run on sins. But see how that progression works? See, see how it works? 
When, we, when our focus becomes, I'm going to treasure God, I'm going to make him, I want him to be the number one priority in my life as I go about my job, as I go about raising my kids, as I go about my retirement, as I go about whatever, I, I need, I want him to be the number one priority, his, his kingdom, that's what I want, okay? What that's going to do, that's going to help us learn to trust him more, and we're going to be more content, and then we're not going to be tempted to think, oh, what do I got to do? I don't have enough. We're not, that's, that isn't that going to be a question anymore. We're not even going to worry about God providing enough for us. We're going to be like Paul. We're going to understand that mindset. So that's the first thing. The second thing that this commandment is about, it's about shaping our attitude towards what we have. Shaping our attitude towards what we have. Author uh, Jerry Bridges, he says this. Um, he says that there, you can find three attitudes towards what we have, okay? We can say, what yours is mine, I'll take it. That's an attitude of theft. We can say, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. That's the attitude of greed. Or we can say, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. That's the attitude of stewardship. No, he's not saying anything against private property or owning your own stuff that is yours. He's not getting against that. It's an attitude, okay? It's this attitude. These really are the three attitudes that we can have. And he says the ultimate one with when we say what's mine is God's, I'll share it. It's an attitude of stewardship. And number six on your notes, stewardship can be defined as carefully and responsibly managing something entrusted to one's care. That's what stewardship is. You've heard of a steward, uh, I, I, I steward someone's house. Joseph was the steward of Potiphar's household in the Old Testament. So that's, that's what that's getting at, okay? But godly stewardship is recognizing that everything I have is from God and is therefore His and must be used as He directs. Kind of changes our mindset on our stuff, doesn't it? Kind of puts it in place, doesn't it? We're stewards. We are to steward or manage the stuff that whatever, because everything is God's. The truth is everything that we have, our possessions, our bank account, our minds, our bodies, our resources are all meant to be stewarded or managed by us for God in building his kingdom. Changes how we look at some of our, our lives, doesn't it, a little bit? That car, that house, that boat, that, <laughs> that everything. Yeah. I'm stewarding this. It's not mine. It's mine, but it's not mine. It's God's. How can I use this then to further his kingdom? King David even said in Psalm 24, he said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, everything and in speaking of stewarding the gifts that we're given and the ministries that God has called us to, the Apostle Paul said, he says, what do you have? He's speaking to the Corinthians. What do you have that God hasn't given you? What do you have? And he's, in, in this context, he's saying, God has given to you, so use it. This is all about God here, and it's his. So let's use it for his glory. So this, this idea of stewardship, really what we need to see it as, see it as both as a tremendous responsibility, but also tremendously freeing. 
It really is. On the one hand, we've been given this tremendously important responsibility of caring and stewarding all these things and managing all that God has given us in order to build his kingdom, our resources, our bodies, our minds, everything. Yet on the other hand, when we begin to see that everything is his, when we begin to see that everything that we have with an eternal perspective well, you know what happens? We start to hold a whole lot loosely to that, more loosely. When you feel like, when you, remember, when you, when you feel like this is mine and you got to guard it, you know what that feels like, right? You ever, have, you ever get a brand new car and you drive that into a parking lot? What's your thought when you go to park? I've had that, for, I'm, I'm taking four spaces, <laughs> you know? It's like, this is mine, I don't want, this is, I want this, and that's okay, I get that, but when we start Think about that, apply that to everything in our life, that this isn't mine, but I am to steward it. That means I'm supposed, I'm responsible for this, that it's used to build God's kingdom. That's what he's, say, that's what he's saying here. Again, um, in Matthew chapter 6, we get to the heart of the matter when Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We know this verse, so many of us, but this is so powerful when it comes to how we view our stuff. In a sense, you know what Jesus is saying here? In a sense, what he's saying is, show me your checkbook. Show me your credit card statement, and I will show you exactly where your heart is. See how Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter? He just says, you know what? It's all about our heart. That's what we've been talking about this whole series, haven't we? It's about our heart. Show me your checkbook. Show me your credit card statement. Show me where you spend your money. I'll show you where your heart is. I'm not going to just, it just makes sense because he says that wherever your treasure is, what's most, imp- the things that are super important to you that you hold on to tight, that's where your heart is. So just re-examine. That's all he's saying. So just examine. It's a mindset. It really is a mindset shift. His point is that everything that we possess, everything we have, should be seen as resources for eternal or kingdom purposes. Everything. And that's what this commandment helps us to see. Okay, leads to the third thing, third and final thing that this commandment is about. It's about number seven, learning the joy of radical generosity. Ushers, we're going to pass the plates again. Okay. Um, Learning the joy of radical generosity. And the place... And the place radical generosity starts really is with loving other people. Because when we're selfish and we're all about ourselves, generosity, I'll be generous to me, to me, yeah. But when we truly love other people, that's where it's really going to impact our, our, our generosity big time. Look at what Paul says in Romans. He says, for the commandments... He makes a connection here. You shall not commit adultery. We covered that one. You shall not murder. We covered that one. Here we are. You shall not steal. You shall not covet, which is coming up. And any other commandments are summed up by this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus has brought this commandment right back to where they've all been going back to lately. Remember the last, especially the last three This is about loving other people. Number eight on your notes, see the eighth commandment is to not steal is less about simply refraining from stealing 
and more about obeying the commandment, the one that's just as important as loving God with everything we are, the commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. Really, it's about treating others the way we want to be treated. That's what that commandment gets down to. I want people to care about me. I want people to love me in a real way for who I am. Therefore, I need to do that with other people. I need to be doing that as well. You see, we take advantage of our employer when, we, we, when we're showing a lack of, or wait, I'm sorry, when we take advantage of our employer, we're showing a lack of love for them. When we steal in any way, what we're doing is we show a lack of love for those that we're taking from without their permission. And it's so easy for us to detach people from things that we want, isn't it? This can't be hurting anybody else. This is not that big a deal. It's not hurting anybody else. But that's when we're stealing, that's exactly what we are doing. We're disrespecting other people. When we truly love others, as we allow God to, Jesus to transform our hearts, our desires to come more, become more and more to find ways to be radically generous by meeting other people's needs. This is a natural outpouring of maturity in Christ. As you mature in your faith with Christ, there's a good litmus test. Am I maturing in my faith in Christ? How is my love for other people? Really, how do I love others? And I'm not talking about just the people that I think are really cool and that, that, that love me back, are really easy to love. Am I able to love even the people that I have a really hard time with? That's transformation. That's radical transformation in someone's life, is being able to love like Christ loved us. Look again at what Paul says. This is so interesting here. He says, in Ephesians, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anybody in need. You see, what Paul's doing here, he's actually giving us a different perspective on our work, on what we do. He's saying our work is not only to be seen as a part of, of his provision that he allows us to have and provides for us in meeting our needs, but it's also meant to be seen as a way of meeting the needs of other people. This isn't my, this is Paul. This is, what he, this is what he's saying. According to God, one of the reasons that we do an honest day's work, the reason that we work is in order to be generous. You ever thought of it that way before? Have you ever thought about the fact that your job, one of the big reasons that you have your job is so that you can be generous by loving people with the resources that God has given you? And you say, oh, yeah, that makes sense, Rob. As soon as I start making six figures, seven figures, whatever, that makes sense. And no. We all know that true love and true generosity is about what I have. It's just, it's just giving, just giving and giving. You know, Paul's giving us a different spin on this. According to God, one of the reasons, like I said, is to have a job, is to be generous. Number nine on your notes, the truth is that the opposite of stealing is generosity. And when we are generous with what we have, we show we understand God's generosity towards us. Does that make sense? The opposite of stealing is being generous. Opposite of taking 
is giving. The opposite of radical stealing is radical giving. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. So when I understand, when I'm generous, when I'm truly generous to, with other people with what I have, it's showing that I get it. And being generous means giving beyond what you feel comfortable giving. I hear it all the time, all the time from people. I'd love to be able to tithe or give or whatever. I'd love to be able to give, but really tight right now. It makes sense, kind of, but when you think about it in God's economy and how God functions, how God works, it makes absolutely no sense at all. And we're going to see how that, how that plays itself out in just, a, in just a second here. What does generosity look like? What does it look like according to God's plan? Well, let's look at that. First John 3, verses 16 through 18. Look what he says. We know what real is because Jesus gave, us, gave up his life for us. We also ought to give up, so we also ought to give our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and see the brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. What he's saying here is that because we know how radically Jesus loves us, we know what radical love looks like. Radical love looks like Jesus giving up his life for us. Since we know that, we ought to be willing to be radically generous in meeting one another's needs. Not just, oh, look, I have a little bit extra, I'm going to give it to so-and-so. That's not generous. There's nothing generous about giving what you don't need. Being generous is saying, you know what, I could re- we could really use that, but you know what, I see a need, and I feel led by God to meet that need. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, be, be radical in your, in your generosity. Again, Paul writes this, check out 2 Corinthians, he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, what we're seeing here? is Paul is making a connection between radical generosity and the abundant life in Christ. He said, you want to experience true abundant life? You want to experience this incredible contentment? Be, a, be radically generous. You can't, we can't outgive, you've heard that saying before, you can't outgive God because the reality is it's true. God will always give more than what we could possibly ever give. <laughs> he will always give more. We think, okay, I'm going to give. I, you know, we always like we're supposed to give to this ministry, but really can't afford it. Okay, we're going to give because then we know that God will, you know, give that back to us by uh, getting us that car we want. No. But God's going to give you that satisfaction and the joy of knowing what it's like to, be, to provide for others. And then he says, he'll take care of you then. He's got you covered. Don't even worry about it. If, if God is leading you to be radically generous in some way, he will cover it. And then some. 
well beyond then some. And what you get back is going to be amazing. I'm not talking about the TV preachers that say, give back and you're going to get, you know, if you give $500, I guarantee you'll get $5,000 back. That's not what he's saying. The contentment and the joy of being obedient to Christ is you can't measure that in dollars. You just can't. But God will also supply all sorts of needs. I could go on story and story after story of people that I know. Even in my own life, I've experienced that being radically generous in ways that seem really kind of crazy. But then watching God just take care of everything. Because if it's all his anyway, and he's telling me to give, okay, you must have more to give back, or you must have stuff to fill that in. That's what's so great about God's truth here. The truth is when we hold back our resources, what we're doing here, when we hold back the resources that God has given us that are meant to be used to further his kingdom, in a real sense, we're actually stealing from him and from ourselves. We're stealing from God what is already his. It's already his, and we're stealing from ourselves the blessing that comes from being radically generous. I really believe that many of us don't experience, one of the reasons we don't experience the true contentment and the joy of our faith is because we're greedy. We're stingy. We're not willing to be radically generous. And I'm talking about being stupid with our money and with our resources, but being willing to say, this is God's, what, do I, what should I be doing with it? And when God prompts our heart to be radically generous, we just do it. Knowing that he's got us covered. He'll backfill, he'll take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. So what do you do when you come to realize that you've been stealing? What, what, what do you do? What if when in, in some way, if you're like, okay, I've been stealing, not by giving, or what, what do you do? Well, the good news, the really good news is that Jesus can relate. Jesus can relate. Isaiah 53, 12 says this, he was numbered with the transgressors, speaking about Jesus, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Who was Jesus crucified between? To what? He was identified with the thieves. He was up there with the crooks, the transgressors, the wrongdoers. But most significantly, these were a bunch of thieves up there. You know, guilty by association. That's Jesus in many ways. He was, he was seen as that. He count, was counted as one of them. But yet one author I read, he said this. I, he died as a thief so he could die for our thievery. I love that. Jesus can relate. He gets it. He knows what that's like to be identified as a thief. And he's died for now That's radical generosity. So how do we deal with stealing? Let's wrap this up. How do we deal with stealing in any way, okay? How do we deal with this due to, due to this whole belief? that God's provision is not enough for us. How do we deal with it? I just got some quick points to wrap this up here and then start doing some questions. First thing is this. The first thing to do is be honest. Number 10 on your notes. Be honest about where you're compromising. Call it what it is. What is it? Sin. Ooh, I said it. It is. It's sin. It's violating or it's breaking God's law, big or small. We've been seeing this through the Ten Commandments. 
there's no measuring stick to how big the sin is. Sin is sin. And just admit it. He's saying, just be honest. Be honest and say, yes, I have compromised in this area. Okay? Second thing to do is confess it. Confessing means to agree with God that we have sinned and repent or change your attitude towards that sin. Basically saying, I was wrong and I commit to do whatever it takes to change my behavior. I'll do whatever it takes. Not I'm just going to, I'm just going to try harder. I'll do whatever it takes. Third one, if necessary, make restitution. And some, some people this is, the hard, this is the hard one, but I've, I've even heard people doing this kind of things. Everything with their taxes to stuff at stores, all, all sorts of things. Make restitution. Return the item or make up for it. If you know you've stolen, return the item. Make up for it. Remember the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Remember Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. <gasps> okay. okay. And then we realize that all of a sudden you, there's a sense that Zacchaeus kind of figures out who Jesus is. And he goes, oh my gosh. And what does he say? He says, if, he says, if I have robbed anybody, okay? Well, well no, first he said, I'm going to give every, half my wealth to the poor. That was right off the top, okay? Heck with this 10% tithe stuff. He says, I'm giving half my wealth to the poor. Can you sense a radical transformation coming in this? That's radical generosity. Then he says what? He says, if I've cheated anybody, which he probably had, because that's what tax collectors did back then, I will pay them four times the amount that I cheated them. That's a transformed heart. That's radical generosity right there. That's proof that Jesus is doing a work in his life, okay? Fourth thing, practice having, we've heard this phrase, an attitude of gratitude. Practice having an attitude. And what I mean by that, the best way to do this, and I know it's easy for us to forget to do this, I do so often, is to regularly tell God what you're thankful for. Regularly. In my quiet time, I do the ACTS prayer thing, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And when I get to that thanksgiving part, I love that because it, it reminds me to tell God what I'm thankful for every day. It reminds me to say, oh yeah, I am thankful for this. And it even reminds me to say thank you for the things that are really hard in my life. Okay? So, have, so tell God what you're thankful for. And lastly, number 14, practice regular, radical generosity. And, and you know the best way to do that is simply ask God how and where can I be radically generous with what you've given me? Just show me, God. So often we, we freak out about, you know, what do I do? What do I do? You know, just ask God. Ask God, what should I do? How can I be rich? Show me a way to be radically generous. But then here's the hard part. Go through with it. <laughs> you know those prayers that we, you know, sometimes we pray and then we go, oh, what the heck did I just pray for? <laughs> this is one of those. But be willing to step into it and watch God do amazing things in your life. All right, a couple questions. First one, in what ways is it easy to rationalize away stealing? In what ways is it easy for people to rationalize away stealing? I but need it more than you do. I need it, yeah, big time. Yep, yep. I remember like, oh, God, well, steal, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Good one. What else? 
Nobody will know. There we go. Did you say that too? Yep. And who's going to find out? Exactly. I read a book a long time ago. It was called Who You Are When No One's Looking by Bill Hybels. Uh, really good. Yeah, those are great. What else? What are some of the ways we rationalize away stealing, whether it's big or small or whatever? Yeah. Eye for an eye, baby. It's in the Bible. Wow. And, uh, he took me over to Ellen's Chili Bowl, which is a little tiny restaurant around the corner. Oh, that hurts already. And you stole nothing. <laughs> yeah, anything else you can think of? How do we rationalize away stealing? I mean, I, I mentioned some of them, like, hey, I'm, we're tight on funds. Ah, the government doesn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good. Josh. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? That doesn't it's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, so good. That's where that sense of entitlement comes in, huh? Yeah. Okay, second question. Uh, what makes it easy to believe the lie that God's provision for us is not enough? Fear. Oh, big time. You want to expound on that at all? I mean, that's great. I mean... Yes, yes, yes. It's de- for those of us that are a little bit more on the control freak side, we really understand this, right? We really do. Wait, is, it's not lining up in, for the next five years. I need it lined up for the next, you know, yeah. There's actually a TV series designed around this whole idea of hoarding. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole different, that's a whole other mental illness, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 What else? These are really good. What makes it easy to believe that lie that God's provision ah, just isn't going to be enough? Pride. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it, like that need can, seems to go on and on and on, whatever it is, it just keeps going. Yeah, exactly. And that can come with anything, health, all that stuff, yeah. Yes. Shame. Uh, mm-hmm. Totally, yes, yes. I really screwed up in my life. Why would God be so generous to me? So good, yeah. Right, right. Well, the Lord didn't give me a, a Ferrari. He gave me this instead. <laughs> there you go. What you need. Do I saw a hand up back over? Yes. 
so good. Maria, that's so good. And but once again, that trails back to the whole thing. It, do I have a kingdom mindset with things and my life? And when we do, it helps with that. But that's so true. Last one. Last one real quick. This is a long run on a sentence again, but deal. Okay, here we go. How can viewing simply being a steward of everything we have for the purpose of God building his kingdom change our attitude towards what we have? How can having that attitude, okay, how can viewing everything, how can being seeing myself, I am a steward, okay, I'm a steward of everything that I have, and it's for the purpose of God building his kingdom. How does that change our attitude towards the stuff we have, or how can it? Yeah. Isn't that hard? That's so good, though, Veronica. Yes, yes. Anything else you can think of? Just seeing yourself as a steward of this all. Yeah. Mm. Say something more about that, if you can, you? Yes. Yes. There's not this constant guarding of my stuff, my stuff. I got to make sure my stuff, which is, I mean, we don't want to just be flippant with the stuff that God has given with us, but at the same time too, it's not like we're like freaking out. It's God's. I was thinking, you know, yeah, that's just, it's so good. Oh, big time. Yep. Big time. Well, that's great. We're going to, thanks you guys. That good stuff. Um, God is, I'm, like I said, that this, this series has been really good, and I would encourage you, like I said before, if you, if you missed some, to go back and listen, because I really feel like this is doing a heart work on a lot of us uh, here, and uh, I just want to encourage you to, especially as we go into communion right now, go ahead and the, the worship team is going to come on up, and as we go into communion, I want to just encourage you to not necessarily just try to scan your mind, oh, what did I steal lately, but... But really think about the things that we just talked about in here, about how do I view my life, what I have, everything, and how, God, can I have a kingdom mindset? How can I be, how can I be radically generous with my life, with everything I have? And if you haven't been, if you feel like you've been holding on a little tight, just spend some time talking to him about that. Get your heart right with him. Um, and uh, so just take some time as the band is just going to play uh, a music a uh, little bit. Um, and you're free to come on up and just take the elements back to your seat or up here, however you want to do it. But just say, take a little bit of time to be with the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to allow it to teach us and guide us. I pray, God, that as we now enter into a time of reflection and prayer, God, that you would allow us to hear your spirit in a way that it only your spirit can do for us, God. And as we, uh, as we listen, help us to listen well during this time and to just be with you. In your, in your name we pray, amen.